Welcome back to another GVO podcast, the Good Vibes Only podcast. On today's episode, I have a good friend on where he shares some stories about his nightlife in America. He talks about his training in the army and his experience as a military sniper. And afterwards, we talk a bit about comfort zones and how MMA is a real good way of getting outside of your comfort zone. As usual, we are uncut, unfiltered, and uncensored. Enjoy today's episode. Things like yeah. In South Africa, like we have like six different colors. No idea what they mean, <laughs> yeah. but they mean something. <laughs> <Yeah>. like, <laughs> They're there for a reason. I, I think like all countries have that too. Like they have some sort of symbolic meaning based off their culture for like why it's a certain way. Like. The states for me is easy, like 50 stars, 50 states, and then I just don't remember the significance. I know the 13, the 13 stripes was because those was the 13 original colonies, but then I don't remember like the color differentiate, differentiates between yeah. that. I think, so the red for in our flag is for blood. I think that's the big, that's like yeah. the main thing. Green is for land, because we have very nice land, <laughs> very nice land. And then whatever other, I, I don't know, I, I, I think we have white, black, and yellow also in it. Yellow probably for the gold. Yeah. Probably for the gold, yeah. That makes sense. Yeah. But, yeah, I did a ton of traveling. It got to the point, too, like, I've never been tired out from traveling, but I needed, like, a vacation from a vacation, in a sense. Because the entire time, like, I was surrounded by people, and it was a rinse and repeat, more or less, where I would see someone, and be like, bro, I haven't seen you in six years, like, let's get hammered. And it was like seven cities in a row of just like immediately going into like heavy drinking. And I'm like, oh God. And then like the next day he'd be like, dude, I'm so hungover. And I'm like, brother, I've done this like five times now. Like, <laughs> this is normal. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. This is normal. Like, I think that, that's actually true. Like when I went back to South Africa, exact same thing. It's rinse and repeat every weekend is the same thing. Yeah. I go to a friend's place. We get absolutely smashed, or I, or I go to like a university town or something like that, and really it's, it's a rinse and repeat of, like you said, just drinking, haven't seen you in forever, let's yeah. take a shot, yeah, let's go, yeah. and then you just rip it. <laughs> you run into somebody at the bar that you haven't like talked to in so long, they're like, oh bro, let me buy your shot, like let's catch up, and it's like, okay, you could also message me too, but I guess like I'll take a free shot, like this, this works. <laughs> I, I was... I can't remember who I was talking with about this, but I think like good friends are friends you can drink with. Yeah. Isn't it like sort of like a, a thing? So like a bonding thing. What is more bonding than getting a group of people together? They'd say they don't know each other. Yeah. Just hand out unlimited beers or whatever they drink. <laughs> and then like surely someone is going to become a buddy at yeah. the end of the night. Yeah, right? There's going to be like three things. Like they're either fucking fighting or friends. <laughs> like, <laughs> like they're gonna find a girl and start fucking they're gonna fight each other or they're gonna become friends at the end of it or the like all, or all of them <laughs> like yeah, some some weird sort of scenario <laughs> the three ifs I fucking love that actually yeah uh, fighting fucking and friends nice yeah. uh, I think it's you, you get like a stamp if you get all three at the night and you're like okay well done make, make it kind of like some bachelor pub crawl or something be like hey Tonight you need to like fuck, you need to fight, 
and you need to make a new friend and then just be like we're gonna stamp you off when you meet this criteria yeah that's like uh, those listings have you done a ball walk like that in budapest i did one not in budapest but i did it in germany um it was called a tanzt they basically in this small town they closed like all of the restaurants and turned them into like a nightclub or like a bar for one night so they weren't serving food but every single restaurant that you went to had like a certain shot that you would have or like a certain specialty drink and then they would like stamp it off and you try and make it to like so is it like how many how many buildings would you say like i think it was 10 10 different like restaurants that turned into bars or nightclubs and then already like and they're like next to each other and everything like they're they're all walking distance i think the farthest distance you would have to walk is like seven minutes oh that's that's prime that's no she's like i've when I was in France, there was also, they have, I think the whole of Europe just have drinking culture. It's just part of it. But uh, they, they would like shut down the street yeah. and make like a sort of carnival out of it. And everyone would just get there and just get hammered. Just, <laughs> it's just like a group of people, one other random DJ sets it up and yeah. there you go. Yeah. The pop-up parties here compared to the States are kind of crazy. Like certain areas in the States have really good pop-up parties, but here we'll just like stumble across something in the middle of the street that's like randomly shut down like we went um and saw some opera almost we were just walking got ice cream and then we heard like live music so we went over there and there was like a little opera playing outside it was like what it was on saturday or sunday this weekend so we're just like what the fuck is happening and we sat there eating our ice cream while some like homeless man is like digging through the trash we're like all right (laughs) the full budapest experience (laughs) like literally music playing the music isn't really a thing but the guy that is homeless digging yeah it's a thing it's like oh classical music playing and then you're like like this is really nice like this is such a nice place and then you look around and some dude's like huddled over a trash can (laughs) probably like super drunk yeah That is that is a full Budapest experience. But like the pop-up stuff is actually quite cool. Like I haven't personally seen too much, but I know like the I have friends that are big into the techno scene here in Budapest. Yeah. And they like they send the link on like the Instagram or they just send the location. Yeah. Then it's like in the buttfuck middle of nowhere, somewhere in the Buddha Hills. Yeah. And it's just just the forest rave. And then just like all these fucking ravers just <laughs> head out there dude i've been trying to get to one of those um because he's met he messaged me with like the last one I was like hey here's, David, yeah, yeah, yeah. He's like, here's one then down the river yeah and he was like here's the coordinates and i'm like i don't speak like hungarian like me getting out here it's like a feat and then from there that i have to figure out my way back home and i know like he's gonna get hammered like i know if i lose him like it's all like every man for himself. Like I'm fighting my own fucking way home. <laughs> <laughs> you can't even ask directions. Yeah, it's just like oh, then, I feel like they're just like point. Like <laughs> just that way. Like oh thanks. This is my address. He's like, <laughs> Go, yeah. He just doesn't care. Yeah, that's true. Now I think it must be cool though. Like those I've never been also. Yeah. But I've seen like ones in like a. Uh, what do you call it? A storm hole where like if it storms, all the water co- comes out there. Yeah. And they literally just go oh, all dude, the way sick. there. Yeah. Like, I think it will actually like crazy atmosphere, but druggy. I think it will be definitely like fucking, yeah. you'll meet some interesting people. I would, I think I would have to pregame like pretty hard for that one, for sure. Cause like, I mean, on top of it being like a foreign language, everyone around there is, there's probably not anyone that is like a, 
native in- English speaker there, no, more or less. Definitely not. Definitely, I I can't imagine that. Yeah. So then, if I'm there, they're not going to have a bar or anything that I could like get drinks. So I'm going to have to like either bring a backpack and like send it. And even then, everyone's usually like dancing their little minds out. So I'm just going to be like sober, not, more or less like not drugs, drinking like okay. Yeah. Actually, like interesting thing, uh, the Americans, you don't have the same dancing culture as the Europeans. Like, no. like you compare American club to let's say uh, Budapest club, even like Otgert instant, whatever yeah. you want to call it. Like, how, how is the difference? Um, so I think the biggest thing is is like the pre games for sure. Because when I was first in Europe when I was eighteen, I wasn't legal to drink in the states. Mm-hmm. And then when I went back to the States, the city that I grew up in was like only a thousand people. It was like more or less a town. It was a farming village. And then the nearest town would be Milwaukee. But where I was getting at is like, um, we would pregame at like eight or nine, like PM. And then we would go out at 10 or 11 and then they close at three. So then the clubs, like every single time I went out, the music sucked, to be honest. Like I'm very into like, I'm into everything, but it has to be more or less one style. Like, if you're listening to EDM and they start throwing, like, Tupac in there. <laughs> so, yeah. Imagine a Tupac mix with no way. So, uh, they'll be playing, like, some, like, more or less, like, an EDM banger. And then all of a sudden, they'll be playing, like, some rap song, like, after it. Like, mix it into it, and you're just like, what the fuck? And then they're just like, yeah, put your hands up, put your fucking hands. And you're like, dude, shut the fuck up, bro. Like, like I don't want to hear you. And I don't want to hear this. Like, I went out in Charlotte a lot, like Raleigh a lot, and every single time I went to like a club, it was more or less like that. So that, that sounds sucks. wild. Yeah, that does not sound uh, ideal. And then it closes like when you start getting older too. Like, club closing at six is not as appealing as it was when I was like twenty, like twenty two. Yeah. So the club's closing at three. It's like, oh, this is a good excuse for me to go home. And then. In like certain areas, they'll have, usually have like an after party that's yeah, posties or something. Like yeah, that, yeah. But when I would go out like in the states, it was always like three a.m. Like we're either black, like heavily blacked out drunk, or like you are just like all right, I'm ready to fucking go to bed. Like it's been a night. Yeah. And the dancing is just like how the fuck are you gonna dance with like some EDM shit where you're like shuffling. And then all of a sudden, like Tupac or like Juice World's like screaming in your soul. It can't work. Like, how do you... What DJ is that? Like, realistically? It's just like, since the States is so big, like, we have a lot of the big EDM. Because that's the scene that I've always been around was EDM. Yeah, we went... What was it? What was EDM concert did we go to? Like, why don't... Oh, we went to the Jay Hardway. Yeah, Jay Hardway. Jay Hardway, yeah. Something like that. That was good. That, like, that reminded me of, like, the golden age of, like, EDM. When I first started raving. But, um... Yeah, like, Las Vegas is a cool thing, too, but at the same time, it was $50 for a Red Bull Vodka, and it was, like, that big. Yeah. So, $50. $50, bro. <laughs> like, no. <laughs> yeah. So, Jeez. Um, yeah, I don't know. Like, if you want to go to cool places that are, like, fun party-wise, they're ridiculously expensive. If you go, like, in a place that's not as big... Chicago, for example, is fucking cool. I enjoyed Chicago a lot. Okay. But... Like, New York City going out, crazy expensive. Las Vegas going out, like, dumb expensive. Like, if you're a female, you're fine. If you're a guy... Miami, probably also, like, very expensive. And the thing is, is that, like, the U.S. has become so caught up, kind of, on, like, what your status is, more or less. Like, how many Instagram followers do you have, like... And 
every time like you go to a club you just see people like recording themselves like somebody recording them like and it always takes away from like what is happening around them is that that really yeah it's like scary to it's out of the norm yeah. for for them it's probably normal but i mean this is just a more or less like a generalization but like from what i've experienced personally every time i would go out to a club like i would see some instagram influencer like taking a video and you know doing like the poses and shit and I'm like oh my god like, definitely I, I can so imagine that that's the thing I can imagine that jeez yeah. no but so but America also got very expensive yeah also got like the I had a friend she's originally from Oregon mm-hmm. she did like a road trip down through Vegas and she and her sister was like we having like a full out hangover let's have a Vegas night yeah and then Two vodka sodas deep, $100 is just out. And they were like, this is not happening. Yeah. It's How can you have that if it's so damn expensive? So yeah. Vegas, there's like a, a technique if you're not trying to spend a lot. I, I haven't experienced Vegas to the extent of like bawling the fuck out, which I think the next time I go to Vegas, like I have a, I have a friend that is like a bouncer at a big club there. So I think when I go there, I'm going to hit it up with him because I'm... If they know you, like, you're going to get a table. And then table is always associated with bottle service. So then you're going to get a bottle. And then from there, then you're like, okay, we're good. But um, if you go there, like, Vegas on a budget is an interesting time. There is this bar called, like, Nitro that I've gone to a few times where they have, like, these buy one, get one free drink tickets. And basically my friend, like, distracted the guy. And me and my other buddy, like, stole all of them out of his fucking back pocket. (laughs) So... (laughs) When it should have cost like $200 for us to get hammered, it cost us like 100 And then they have this Ferris wheel too, where it's all you can drink for 30 minutes after like 8 p.m. So like our pregame started with like that nitro bar and like just going after it, like keep, keeping them for later. And I think they kind of caught on because we went like three days in a row and then eventually they're like, okay, we got to change like the... The ticket, like what they look like. They see the same people yeah. coming over and, and over like, with free drinks. And I literally would only do a buy one get one free. Like I never would just pay for one. And like how many of these do you have? And I'm like my brother in Christ. Let's not talk about that. I I have the ticket. Yeah. Serve me. <laughs> and then after like we go from there, and then we'd usually go on this uh, Ferris wheel. It's like a smaller version of the I London. It takes thirty minutes to get round around, and they bring in like uh, a serviceable bar onto this Ferris wheel. And they'll just keep giving you drinks. Like, you have 30 minutes to drink as much as you can. So like, On a Ferris wheel trip. Yeah. So, oh. it goes, like, all the way up and down. And you're just sitting there, like, give me two Jack and Cokes. And then you just, like, pound one, sip the other, give me two Jack and Cokes. Pound one, sip the other, like, two Jack the and Cokes. A reasonable thing to do, actually. Yeah. Like, if you have a drinking time, you yeah. double down. Yeah. And it was only, like, 20, I think it was, like, 20 or $30 or something when I went, like, a while ago. So, for, like realistically six Jack and Cokes if you're a functioning alcoholic for $20 is like that's a steal but the thing is is like this Ferris wheel doesn't fucking stop right <laughs> it just keeps going so when you get to the bottom like you have to basically jump out of this fucking thing no <laughs> you're just sitting there like toasted you're like like fuck I just got one step like one step to glory is all I need to do and you just like you step out of this thing and like I just imagine like so many people putting that first foot down and just whoop <laughs> coming under them they just drop yeah. they just drop they have like a net under it too because so many people would just get like hammered and fall off of it 
What? Like, how many times did that need to happen for them to put the net there? Probably, usually one. Like, after the first... Surely not just one, like... I think after, usually after the first time, then people's eyes are open. We're like, oh, this is a possibility that, like, we need to do something before we get a lawsuit. Have you seen, like, that weird signs of, like, don't drink while skating? I don't know, like, one other random sign of don't do that. Like... Yeah. It needed to happen. It's always like something weird, like something like out of control. Like don't pee in front of the horses, and you're like, why? Like what? What feed? That like probably like jacking off in front of the horse. Like what? Say man? Yeah, like all it's like is one person. Yeah, just ruin it. Now they just put the sign there. Like this is completely bad now. No, no more doing this. So you did Nigel and then the wheelchair, the chief night out in Vegas. Yeah, uh, and then um, kind of the best, like the, the time I did it was like Memorial Day weekend, which is like for all the veterans or all like the active duty soldiers that passed away mm-hmm. or like committed suicide. It was one of those things where it's like a holiday to remember. Um, so we were there on Memorial Day weekend. My friend was like a Marine Scout sniper and then I was uh, an Army sniper. So we kind of got into places for free based off of like us talking about that it makes sense yeah. so we were like we talked to this bouncer for a while and we're like hey yeah we're here and he's like why are you guys here like you both have military haircuts and then he was like yeah i'm a marine at camp like no it wasn't camp Pendleton, wherever he was and uh or 29 palms sorry he's like yeah i'm a marine at 29 palms and i was like yeah i'm in the army also he's like dude like come in here for free we went to see um fuck, calvin harris for yeah. free so we went into Ooh. like a calvin harris show but nice. The, I have to explain the club situation after this. And then the next day he was like, hey, do you guys want like pool party tickets to Steve Aoki? Like they're normally $150 or given to you for like $20 each. Or like, yeah, like set us up. And then he just like text you and you're like, hey, here's the tickets. You go like online. It seems a little sketchy, but like once we got in for free at the first place, we're like, yeah, this is fine. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So then we put like a burner card basically in there, like paid for this ticket. And then the next day we're supposed to go to another DJ later at night. But... <clears throat> We, um, when you went into this dance floor, it was called Omnia. How it was set up is like Calvin Harris was here. The dance floor was here. VIP was like around the dance floor, like bar was here. And then this is like a little walking area. Okay. So So like the semicircle of like different. Yeah. So the thing that was like sucked is there's only two entry points into the dance floor and they were guarded by security because the security was making sure that the dance floor didn't get too big. Okay. So the VIP on the outside had security also, but they were able to see things. So when you're walking, because the walkway basically turned into people standing there wanting to see Calvin Harris because he was performing. Yeah. So the walkway turned into people standing that you can't get through. So you can't go onto the dance floor. Like the, the tech- because the VIP is in front of them. Yeah. Correct. And then the security wasn't letting anyone in because you had to bring like, either had to bring like girls or something. And like my buddy and I were just like, he's married and he was like, he was like, I don't know how to get on there. I'm like, brother, like, we'll figure this out. So I went to like a group of like five females more or less and was like, hey, uh, we're just trying to like go to the dance floor. Like, can you take us in there? And he's like, and they're like, yeah, yeah, whatever. So we like follow him. The bouncer's like, oh, five females, like always trying to keep like the percentages down. Yeah. And they're like five females, two guys, like, yeah, like sneak in with them, whatever. Great ratio. Great yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. So then we like snuck in with them and then they're like, oh, you guys want to dance? We're like, absolutely not. <laughs> <laughs> That's the most baller move I've ever heard. We're like, yeah, and kid up with like a, thanks, <laughs> see you later. <laughs> Cheers, girls. And we were just like, we came here for Calvin Harris. Like we're not really interested in like 
that. So I've gone there. I've gone to that club like a few times. I got into a fight there one night too, but every single time it's just like the drinks were fifty dollars, as I said with like the the vodka Red Bull. So you have to pregame really hard, and then by the time like somebody is on, you can't get onto the dance floor anymore because you're controlling it. So you either spend a shit ton of money at this club to get onto the dance floor, or you pregame really hard, and it's like a more or less like a 70-30 that you're going to get on. 30% you're not. Yeah. Or 30% you will, 70% you're not. Yeah, that's also not good odds. Yeah, yeah. actually not. I, you said you did service. How many years did you like actually... So I did you in the military for? I did six and a half years like active duty army. Yeah, that that's... Fucking crazy, yeah. Yeah, so from like 18 to 24, I was serving. I did. So did you immediately like start enrolling as soon as you got out of like... High school? Yeah, of high school, yeah. So I did my enlistment when... Before I graduated. Like I already enlisted in the army, but I put my, um, my date to ship out for basic training. Like we graduated in June and I put my ship out date like January. Because uh, my grandparents and my family was very apprehensive about me joining the army. Because yeah. they wanted to make like a life for me. And they thought that, I mean, not they thought, they knew that I could do something outside of that to be successful. So my grandpa was like, hey, work at this company for me. And tried to like convince me to get out of it, but the f- work was miserable. So I, I worked there for like two months. Basically, like what I was doing was picking up like 50 pounds of different ingredients to make cookies and stacking them on pallets. But each of these pallets, it was like big bags of flour that were like yeah. 22 kilos. And there was like 13 of them on these pallets. And I was just constantly deadlifting it and setting it on. And I calculated it. I was doing like seven pallets a day. So like, I don't know, like fucking, I can't do math right now. Probably like 80 fucking how much? How much was on a... It was 22 kilos per bag. 13 bags uh, per seven, pallet. 7, 20, 81. Now, fuck, I can also not do math. I think it was like... 91. Yeah, that's a shit ton. That, yeah. like, that's a lot of... That's good rapes. That's yeah. good rapes. So I was doing that like all day. And the only like good part about my day was like driving a forklift. So I got forklift certified, which is dope. But... <laughs> <laughs> the day looking fun. No. Yeah. But uh, after like month or two I was just kind of like this work isn't for me and then I went back to where my family was because my grandparents lived three hours away and then I worked at like the same job I had in high school like working at a restaurant and then also doing landscaping basically until I left for like the army um so I went in when I was 18 or I enlisted when I was 17 went in right away when I was 18 but I had probably like nine months of work experience before I joined the army when I was not in high school prior to like where somebody would leave for college. Okay. Yeah, because most people like uh, either you don't have an option to join the army or you don't join up. I don't know. Is, is it like the voluntary joining for the army? I find so interesting because in most countries like, okay, so in South Africa, our army is atrocious. So no one joins that. But uh, if you look in Europe, like Israel, immediately as if you finish high school, you do two years of yeah. service. Norway, I think, is also like that. Like yeah. a bunch of these countries are like that. But like it was like an active decision of let let's go into the yeah. So army. I what my plan was out of high school was to follow in my father's footsteps, which I think most people think of that also if they have like a very healthy relationship with their father mm-hmm. be like i want to do what he's doing and make him proud 
and then I kind of my father is like a, like a civil engineer, like very math heavy, and I was like looking into it. I'm like, uh, I got denied from like a bunch of colleges that I was wanting to go into because I was like a 2.2 like GPA student. I was not going to get accepted into like state universities. Yeah. So I I knew I enjoyed working out. I knew I enjoyed shooting guns and. I was like, okay, I want to have a purpose in my life. What teenage boy does not love working out and shooting guns? Yeah. So then, <laughs> so then, like the immediate path to me was like, okay, military, and then the four branches. Like, uh, I'm gonna leave out the Coast Guard, like Air Force, Navy, Marines, Army, and you're just and like Baywatch. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The little puddle jumpers, the puddle hoppers. Um, so I went into like. Army immediately because my friends already went to basic training and I was like, hey, what can you give me? And then they gave the options for me after I took like the standardized test. I went to the Marines and they're like, we can't give you a job that you want. You have to go. And then once you finish all the testing, we're going to assign the position for you. And I was like, that's out. And then Navy, I was like, okay, well, maybe Navy SEAL would be sick, right? Yeah, yeah. And they're like, if you fail BUDS, like, they're going to assign you any position that they see fit that the Navy needs. And I'm like, fuck that. And I, a bunch of people fail BUDS. Yeah. Not, not any guy just passes BUDS. Yeah. So, like, it, I mean, I, I sold myself short a lot in my career. I should have pushed myself harder. But I think that decision to join the Army was a good one. Because I think if I went into the Navy and I didn't pass the operator selection then I would have been miserable. Where in the army, I went in as airborne infantry. I had a like really good, successful career and I was happy with everything that I learned and gained from it, so. Okay. Yeah. And like, so you went into airborne, what? Like, what do you do? Like, do you get dispatched to like different parts of the globe and then you work there and then you come yeah. back home? Sort of, yeah, so. Yeah. Um, I don't really know the army situation. That's the thing. I, I have no idea about it. Yeah. Um, there's a lot of people that don't. Because um, there's different units have different mission sets. My first duty station was in Germany. I was in 2nd Cavalry Regiment. Um, that's why I, I was in Germany for three years at 18. And our mission set was basically to combat aggressions against Russia. So we weren't in an airborne unit during that point. It was called a mechanized unit where we had these large up armored like fighting striker vehicles. Okay. And our whole job was basically like tour like Balkan states. Like um, we went through, we actually did a sea crossing into Georgia. It's like even looking up online. Yeah, they like cool. in Turkey or something. Like it's Turkish to the right of Turkey. I, yeah, I, I, I've seen the idea what you're talking about. Yeah. And then we did. Um, my first deployment was outside of the Gaza Strip in Egypt. We were part of like uh, this organization called like the Multinational Force and Observers where I think the best way to put it was like a peacekeeping mission where we had observed uh, the conflict between Egypt and Israel during the seven day, like from the seven day treaty to make sure they didn't break it. And where we were outside of the Gaza Strip, what our mission set was, was to go in the villages and make sure that um, the Egyptians that were there were doing okay. We gave them like humanitarian aid, brought like an interpreter, brought officers out there because there was an ISIS training camp in the area that was targeting Egyptians. like probably 10 kilometers away from our base. Like the first week I got there, I watched him do get his head cut off over a camera. Like this dude got his head chopped off with a machete. So scary. <laughs> yeah. So scary. Like that an evil like that actually like exists. You yeah. know what I mean? And like, like you, you, in basic, it's basic training. It's like a very interesting thing because they just try and prepare you for like the worst possible situation. They're like, mm. you need to understand, like, there's a possibility you're going to kill somebody. There's a possibility your friends are going to die. Like, 
It's a possibility you're going to lose limbs. And they don't do it necessarily in a way that like I'm talking about it. They do it in a way that you're in a training exercise and they're like, hey, you did this wrong. Like you're shot in the shoulder. Like your body has to provide aid for you and now carry you. And then when you're watching your friends just like suck for 12 kilometers carrying you, it kind of sticks in your head like this is a reality of what I'm getting into. Like I need to be careful of what oh, I'm doing shit. mindful. And every single school after that, it was like the same thing, but heightened. Like air assault school is the same thing. Airborne school is also similar. Like sniper school was like escalated times infinity with this one. Like what do you mean escalating? Like So like with them, when you're normal infantry, most of your engagements outside of like CQB, like close quarters battle, like basically imagine breaching the door and clearing the room and there's bad guys in here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's what CQB would be. But as a sniper, your whole mission set is long range engagements or like 100 meters, like quick rapid target engagement. But when you're, for example, in Afghanistan and you're shooting as a platoon, as a squad and an individual, you are not seeing where your bullets are landing. You're not seeing the impact of them. But as a sniper, you're watching through 40 power glass or like 12 power with our rifles. This round goes straight into a person. So they're sitting there like telling us like, yeah, you guys want to see like the pink mist, like basically the equivalent of like, you want to watch the round that you just shot off. You calculate it, impact a person and watch the blood splatter. So they're telling you like, you want the pink mist, like you want the pink mist. And then you're just kind of like, feeding into it and you're like yeah yeah let me get this. that fucking pink mess yeah because yeah. you're so impressionable too like most people in the military are like really young so when they're telling you these things like you're you're looking up to these instructors because they're very knowledgeable all this and they're like you're like yeah this is like what i want for sure so oh that's actually like i think <clears throat> in the moment it makes sense because if i uh If I need to take it out of like an army perspective or like a hunting perspective, like in South Africa, like we did, there's, there's no better feeling. There's no better feeling than taking that shot. Yeah. The buck is there standing, so you take that shot and you, you're the first. Whoosh, yeah. And like, it's hunting. That is okay. It's like almost seen as a good thing, but like, If you are taught that this is what you need to do for like humans, it, I can see how it gets fucked. It gets like mentally really tough yeah. when you're chasing that pink mist. So we had uh, these, um, no, I can't think of the word. Am I grabbing me? Awesome. Oh, I'll grab um, Basically, if you're an untrained sniper in like the US military, you're a pig. And then if When you pass like sniper school, you're called a hog. I don't remember exactly what the acronym for pig is. I know the acronym for hog is like a hunter of gunmen. So talking about hunting too, like our idea strategy was like understanding psychological, psychologically, like what enemy combatants or snipers are going to do and then hunt them, track them and kill them. So they also prepared us with like counter tracking measures, like counter sniper measures of like hunting down another human and like killing him before he kills us. Yeah. But that's your goal. That that's yeah. your goal is not to get killed. Yeah. But, but like, okay, so as a sniper, do you, uh, especially for like long ranges, mm -hmm. do you make sure that the the group that is like currently doing the CQBs, yeah, uh, like that they are safe, or like what is your role? Is it to eliminate any threats to them, or 
so we had a lot of different roles and abilities to adapt to the situation. Um, when I, I took over a sniper section, so I was in charge of three sniper teams um, and employing them for what was best needed based off the mission. And the line companies, which are like the guys doing CQB is an easy way to say it. Um, they didn't really know how to employ snipers or how to use them. So then I was the one dictating like, this is going to make sense based off the operation to use them for. But to answer your question kind of shortly, yes, we do things like that, where we have a five degree field of view. So based off of the lead man, if you put your fingers out like this, that is how far we can shoot from them. So like, if you think about it in a sense of like 300 meters, if you go like this, then your field of view is like this far. Yeah. Kind of thing. So then, larger, yeah. so then you know you can like, safely shoot a target that far from the person running to a breach or like we would we'd call that like overwatch when they're clearing rooms clearing compounds and then we're just watching for squirters is when somebody is like injured but not dead and then they pop up and try and shoot them we would watch for squirters and then we would watch for people kind of popping up on rooftops and like how many missions did you like do in total like as a sniper like on deployment i didn't do i did one um but i did a lot of like we did a lot of training yeah. missions so i don't know not probably. because you need to be trained for when that happens yeah on the field yeah so i think a lot of like the live fires i've probably done like 20 to 30 like iterations of like a sniper live fire providing overwatch and then in terms of like my individual sniper training and how i train my snipers we had like a at least two ranges a week for like six months I won like a sniper competition and got a ton of rounds. So then I took my guys to the range like twice a week and shot a lot. Nice. And that was really, really good. And then we got really good in Iraq. We shot a lot. We shot up to like 2,600 meters at like human sized targets, which was fucking crazy. Um, and you actually hit them. Yeah. Like, like, how do you get good at sniping? Like, is it just a practice thing? Is it a thing built into you? Um, so we have like prerequisites to get into sniper school. We would have to shoot a five arm group at 25 meters, like this, this big. And you have to do it like three out of five times. That was one of our prereqs. Hmm. Um, because when you're shooting and if it, that groups is farther out than the farther you get out, like you miss targets easily. Yeah. So more or less to get into a sniper section, it's kind of naturally natural ability and instinct. And then from there, then you refine your skills to be able to do that. So how I would normally start off my guys training them is like shooter spotter dialogue, which is you have somebody behind you all the time and you've seen the matrix, right? Yeah. You know, when the guy like leans back, like Keanu and just like, shh, yeah, and dodges all the bullets and stuff yeah. like that. So when you're looking through glass at around, you can actually see a bullet in the air heading towards a target. What? You can see like, I have a video I, I can show you like after we're talking about this, but you can see like the bullet vapor, it's called trace. And sometimes if the day is like clear enough, you can actually see like the, the back end of the round going towards the target. Whoa. That's so, actually crazy. Yeah. yeah. So um, the shooter was always known as like the monkey that can just follow commands and pull the trigger, but the spider is doing like all the math, all the calculations, everything like that. And then eventually like once you get past the shooter spotter dialogue, of like being able to quickly identify targets, being able to range estimate it. Cause when I first started, we didn't have like a good laser range finder. So we would use a formula to calculate the range based off of like, it was the size of target in inches times 25.4 divided by the mill reading of the target equals your target distance in meters. So we would calculate 
and our reticle using it almost as like a tool to help us how far away this target was based off of it. And then you times it by 25.4, which the target from here to here is usually 40 inches and then here to here is 25.6. So you have a constant of like 1062 and like 45, 456.7. And then you divide that by your mill reading and you get a, like a range value within like 10 meters. If you oh, like shit. calculate it correctly. I was actually like wondering about the calculations. Like I thought you would physically do it, but you have a spotter doing it for you. Cause this is some crazy, this is wind is a variable. Distance is a variable like gravity. You need to like, I don't know. There's also the Coriolis effect, like the earth spinning is a factor that you have to take into play. So while you're shooting, yeah, the earth is like turning so and then... Think about it like this, like the earth is spinning, you're shooting a target like this. If your round is taking, I think it's like above six seconds to get to the target, which was normally if we're shooting out past like a thousand meters, then based off of what direction we're shooting, that target would either be here or here. So we would have to know kind of what direction we were doing or we had calculators at this point that would do it for us. So then we would have to calculate being like, okay, if our wind value say is like two kilometers an hour, we're calculating a holdover. So we're going left to right here. We would calculate here. But now if the earth is spinning where the target isn't going to be here anymore, it's going to be here. And that means that we have to cut down on the distance so that we can hit the target based off of the earth rotating. What, what effect is this called? Coriolis effect. Coriolis. That's so crazy. Like it actually messes with my brain to think about that. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. And then like the, the biggest factor for us to determine was wind. Um, cause gravity is a constant state. You're yeah. able to calculate. 9.8 miles per yeah. square kilometer. Oh, yeah, whatever. So you're able to calculate the gravity easily. Then, then, um, when we would go to a, a range, we would calculate the temperature cause the air density matters based off of if the, the air is thicker, then that means that we're going to have to adjust our elevation higher because the bullet isn't going to be able to, um, it's called like buck the wind basically like get through the atmosphere as quick. And if the air is like less light, then that means that our elevation isn't going to be as high because the, the round is going to be able to pierce the air easier. Crazy. Yeah. And then there's barometric pressure too. I honestly, I do not know how to explain barometric pressure. I just know that we have to like more or less calculate for it. Also. Yeah. That's but, so many calculations that you actually need to do before you can get the pink splatter. Yeah. The, uh, yeah. The pink mist. Yeah. The pink mist. There, yeah. there you go. Yeah. Crazy. And also think, are like the army people as hard as they physically are like mentally because like how i see it like from those perspectives so if you have no such knowledge how do you find out about knowledge on the internet and then you get characters like uh david goggins the balded guy wilkins well I can't remember his name. Oh, well, uh, Jocko Wilnick. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Jocko Wilnick. Like those, those guys, those rock hard soul. You can't even think of someone else as being a soldier than those people. But yeah. is that like a thing? Do you have these people that are just mentally both different? Or, oh, yeah. Um, or is it created for you? That's even... Is there people that get it naturally or during this system you get taught to become mentally strong. I think beforehand you kind of have a mentality. Um, like a lot of athletes go to the, the military. So they already have 
have some sort of discipline, some sort of fitness regimen, and then a mindset of like never quit. Because no matter how fucking strong you are, you can you can send like the strongest dude through like uh, like an SF prep course, and he'll probably quit more or less. But if you send somebody that's like scrawny, like Donnie, imagine Donnie with David Goggins' mindset, like he would crush it because he's just like he's just gonna be like fuck this, like I don't care, like I'm just gonna crush it. But if you send somebody that's like extremely strong but doesn't have the mindset of being there, it's a huge thing. So. Um, if you go in there with like a good mindset, like you will be a hard motherfucker more or less. But if you go in there, like accepting failure, accepting to quit, like no matter how much training is put in there, we had like shit bags too. Like people that just sucked. Oh, so, so you, so you always have been. Yeah. I think that's like, I think that is also a constant like gravity. You always have some shit. Yeah. It's always. So like I've I've worked with like a lot of the soft communities like special operations um we shot with like naval navy seal snipers a lot like I worked with like delta force worked with like special operations like army green berets and almost everyone besides for like the highest echelon of special operations said that there are people in their organization that are shitbags like pieces of shit that they like they either get out of doing the things that they're supposed to they find shortcuts when they shouldn't like things and like shortcuts that. is the fastest way to failure, especially if like life or death situation happens yeah. or whatever, you know what I mean? When it, when it comes to like, like we didn't necessarily think thinking outside the box was good and it's something that I think was pretty bad. You should want people to be free creative thinkers. But when people are just doing a shortcut because they're lazy, that's different than finding a, some solution that will make the path less strenuous. But if you're like, I don't want to do this, like I'm going to toss like a shit ton of weight in the woods when I'm doing a timed like march, that's that's finding a shortcut but also being a piece of shit. Yeah, yeah. That is that is finding even finding a shortcut through the woods, that is also a bit of a piece of shit, but it's less than actually dropping most of your weight and then Yeah. Yeah, that is a piece of shit move. That is but you so you say people get you get hard in the army. Do you get hard? Yeah, 100%. That sounds so weird. Like, yeah, bro. Okay. <laughs> oh, yeah. Bricked up. Did you just roll on that? I'm bricked up. Yeah. I'm hard, brother. Made to the bait away. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I know, I know what you're saying. Yeah. Um, I mean, you put some shy person in a situation like basic training where, like, your drill sergeant is, like, this close to you, fucking screaming in your face. You either like you either gonna cry about it or you're just gonna like accept it and understand that this is the reality of your situation. Yeah. And then um, the more you're exposed to it, the less it really affects you. Because I've gotten some ass tunes before, and I'm just like, that sucked. Like really? I did, I did not have a great time with that. Well, why why did you get an ass chewing? Um, I had one in Iraq because he's, he's ass chewing. No homo. <laughs> yeah. I never even thought about it in a homo sense. I just knew it from like the yeah. slang. Um, this, these guys came onto base and like their pass wasn't valid and like the base that we had in Iraq was more or less non-existent and I went to the gate to like confirm who they were and I, I was like your guys' like pass is expired like I need you to call your superiors to let you on the base and they just fucking like do you know who the fuck I am like who the fuck are you like I'm gonna find out your name I'm like cool like I need this pass and they just like basically ripped into me for like 20 minutes like yeah. violently aggressively and I was just like okay cool and I'm like I'm gonna go back to my truck and I'm gonna make a phone call to like your command to see if you like are because they didn't have IDs they didn't have vehicle passes or anything 
And then somebody came out of the vehicle that like I personally knew. And I was like, hey, what's up? I think his name was like Dave or something. And he's like, hey, Ryan, like, can you let me in? And I was like, man, like, please stop by tomorrow morning. Like, I was in the right, but I still got an asterisk for it, you know? Yeah. And I was like, stop by in the morning. Like, um, they created an international incident with, like, the Kurdish soldiers that we were working with because they were very rude and disrespectful to them also. And then I was like, go to, like, the next gate and all this. And then they went to the next gate and, like, instead of the Hungarians, because we worked with Hungarians, opening the gate, they opened it themselves. And I was just like, the people that we worked with in this moment, like, they were, like, top tier, like, very high level, like, SOCOM guys. So, like, we could get fired easily, more or less. And it was like, it was like, do I want to continue my time in country? Or do I want to, like, do what is right? And then when I saw that, I knew him, I was like, okay, whatever. And then I had to go and explain to them that these guys were just assholes. And I called, like, the chain of command, and he's like, yeah, we're firing him. Like, he ended up getting fired for being a dick to, like, me, the Kurdish, and the Hungarians, because he just, like, fucking chewed me out. Like, let me in. You know who the fuck I am. You see me all the time. And I'm like, I've never talked to you in my life. But that was probably the, the last memorable ass-chewing that I've had in a while. Yeah. Like, uh, on that story, like, as a man, as me personally, I do really bad, really bad with authority. Like I have, uh, if someone has a, or at least if someone I don't know and they think they have a superiority above me, I don't do well with that. Yeah. I don't do very well with that. I, Fuck you, go away. Yeah. I don't really care. But I think in the army where there's superiority runs it. It's yeah. like a hierarchy. Like you have all the soldiers at the bottom. They have commanders. Yeah. These commanders, it's like a pyramid, and it just builds up and up and up yeah. and up. Like I can totally see how I would, like you said, ass chewing. Somehow it would definitely happen. Somewhere within, if I ever did service, I never would. But the- theoretically, you learn quickly to keep your mouth shut in situations. Like if, especially if I fucked up, which. You fuck up all the time. Like, there'll yeah. be something minuscule, stupid. Like, you show up five minutes late and you're like, somebody's screaming at you and you're like, you're right. Like, I shouldn't have been five minutes late. And no matter what excuse you give, it's not valid. No. You're like, oh, yeah, what if we're in Iraq, all this shit, like, good fucking blow it up and you're five minutes late. It's like, ah, right, whatever, dude. Like, you'd have to blow it like that much out of proportion. <laughs> but um, you kind of just learn to keep your mouth shut. And there is like a hierarchy with it too. And uh, like, Everyone, when they come up and talk to you, they have to, more or less, if you're a non-commissioned officer, go to a certain position to talk to you. Like, your hands are, like, folded at the small of your back. Your feet are, like, shoulder-width apart. And then you stand there and, like, look straight forward as you talk to, like, a non-commissioned officer. That's, like... But in senses where you know what you're doing is right and you're still getting your ass chewed out, I think is, like, the worst. Because in that sense, I was pissed off and I was, like, I want to beat the fuck out of this dude. But I'm, like, in the back of my mind, I'm, like he'll fucking kill me. Like he's way better trained and any, any sort of sense of anything I could do. I have a pistol on my like hip. He's unarmed. Like what, like I'm, why would I escalate this when he's not like threatening realistically? That's true. My That's actually like good level thinking there. Like, yeah. That, that makes sense. So I was like, I was like, okay, what is getting yelled at by somebody that's more, more likely? Like I think they were intoxicated. I'm like, what is getting yelled at by somebody that's intoxicated because they're irritated going to affect me? nothing like it sucks 
Like, I'll take it, take it on the chin, move on. What if I escalate it? He's drunk. If he overpowers me and gets my pistol, then my life's in danger. The Kurdish that are there to support us because they know that we are the people that are in charge of them. What if they fucking smoke these Americans at the gate? So then you kind of have to think about it in a sense, like in that specific instance, like if I escalate, what's going to happen? If I de-escalate, that's the best case scenario. Like he's not acting violent. He's not doing anything. There's no reason to detain him. But if he's acting violent in this moment, like, like reaching for a gate, doing all this shit, like reaching for a pistol, like trying to like ram the gate, then in that moment, then uh, escalation is needed. But in this moment, he was just like irritated, like kept touching the gate, like open this, open this. And the Kurdish were like pushing away and he wasn't escalating farther than that. So at that moment, I was like, okay, situation is more or less contained, take it on the chin. And then when you're in like not a deployment setting and people are screaming at you, you're just kind of like, you just, honestly, I just black out. I get screamed at, I'm like, Roger, 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 Roger. And they're like, fuck on my face. You're like, Roger. And then you just fuck it sounds like a it's little fucking... It's like desensitized. You just yeah. get desensitized out of it because it, it happens so often that it's just, yeah. Yeah. Especially, like, our new privates coming in, we would fuck with them all the time. Fuck with them is kind of a harsh way of putting it, but, like, they come there expecting, like, they know the world and they know nothing. And then they... Some of them would come in with, like, oh, my drill sergeant's not here. Like, I can get away with it. It's like, mm-hmm. no, there's a hierarchy. Like, shut the fuck up and, like, learn. And the, the privates that were really good were the ones that were quiet, did what they were told, took notes, like, absorbed everything like a sponge. And then you had the ones that, like, since you live, like, imagine your apartment complex, like, all of the people that you work with are in rooms next to you. Yeah. And then you live next to them, like, you drink with them, hang out with them, and then you go to work and there's, like, a professional level, like, a line that you're not supposed to cross. So they're like, oh, I'm chill with, like, Sergeant Swaya. And you're like, no, no, you're not. We're at work, brother. And then they would do like, hey, Ryan, what's up? And you're like, you didn't call me sergeant. Now I got to fuck you up. And then they're just like, all right, time to do some burpees, like all this shit. That's actually crazy. And then like, as soon as that, let's say, work whistle Mm -hmm. blows, you end up getting to the bar. Then then it's just friendship. And it's like, okay, cool. I have like a memory about that situation exactly. I had... One of the snipers that was with me, like, didn't show up. Our formations was, like, an accountability to make sure nobody ran off. And we had to be there at, like, 5.45 in the morning. And he wasn't answering his phone. He wasn't doing anything. So I, like, drove to his house. Now it's, like, 6 a.m. And his wife, like, opens the door. And I'm, like, oh, hey, Jess, like, is Kenny here? Like, what's going on? And she's, like, yeah, Kenny's upstairs sleeping. I'm, like, why the fuck? Like, I'm, like, I'm, like, I'm talking to his wife at this point. So I'm more or less respectful. In my mind, I'm, like, why the fuck is this asshole, like, sleeping? Like, he knows we have work. And I'm like, just like, we have work today. Like, can you please wake him up? And then uh, she's like, oh, yeah, yeah, of course. Like, I don't know why you overslept his alarm. And then I fell asleep. And I'm like, that's fine, right? Um, so he shows up to work at 630. And then I just smoked the fucking dog shit out of him. Like, I had him sit there with, like, helmets, like, a helmet on each arm and then a helmet on his feet, like, holding it, like, six inches above the ground. And just, like, it was like a crucifix almost, yeah. like. Very that sounds very intense. Yeah, <laughs> very physical intense. exercise. And I like, I wasn't yelling at him. I'm like, you know what he did? He's like, yeah. And I'm like, do I need to even like, I'm like, you understand why I'm punishing you? And he's like, yeah. And I'm like, okay, do I need to yell? And he's like, no, nah, won't happen again. But the fuck situation is that I basically like, my leadership told me to fuck this dude up for an extended period of time. And I had like a, a conflict um, of like, he's my friend. Should I fuck him up? Or 
should I fuck him up to a point that he's sweaty and then get him downstairs? It's like, you know what? I'm going to get him to his, when he's sweaty. But he kind of took it to heart because he expected it to just like go to nothing. And him and his wife drove me to the airport at 3 a.m. like the next day. So he was like, he's like, I'm doing a favor, like driving you to the airport. And like literally 12 hours prior, like I was in a room sweating with you because I didn't show up to work. And that was like a weird, a weird check that it was like, I love you. Like every single time that we're off of work, like one of my best friends. But when we're at work, like if you fuck up, like I am obligated to fuck you up. Yeah. And because, so does your leadership physically tell you that like? Sometimes, yeah. <clears throat> um, like there'll be times where people fuck up and then the senior level leadership would be like, that pissed me off. Like, like scuff them up or we would, our, the politically correct option would be to write a counseling statement of like, you did this wrong, you did this wrong, like sign here, sign here. And then you pile up enough of them and then you can basically chapter them or kick them out of the army. But I hated paperwork and I always gave them an option. I was like, look, you were in the wrong. I can, there's two courses of action. Like you can get smoked and understand that this is your punishment because you were wrong. Or I can type up this little memorandum and write it for you. And then if you get three, then I'm going to recommend you to get chaptered out of the army. And then more or less, they're always just like, I'll do 30 minutes of exercise, like whatever, burpees, whatever, fine. So, yeah. Oh shit. Okay. No, that's actually, that's actually cool. I have, I have a question about like, it's not really military, but more about like the whole of the military. Like, what is your opinion about like, I think they call it the military industrial complex. It's about this idea that what I think America puts per year like five hundred billion dollars yeah. into their military. You guys have mili- military bases all over the world. Like it's just a shit ton of money getting shipped out. Like, what is your? Do you have opinion or anything about like? How money is sent, like for example, this Ukraine-Russian war, it's like America sends a bunch of money to fund it, pretty much. Like, Yeah. Um, so I think as there's a saying, like a Japanese saying, that's I'd rather be a warrior in a garden in a time of peace than a gardener um, in a garden in like a time of war. That I think that, I, I might have fucked it up, but the, the point of it is, is that in a time of peace, you would rather have the defense that you need in case something goes to shit than not be mentally prepared for something. Like, for example, if Ukraine wasn't prepared for, like, the Russian aggression, then it would have been fucked. So I think, yeah. like, I think countries should be able to support themselves to a sense that they're not, their, their defense is good. And the United States, unfortunately, has her hand in so many different areas. And I think they're the main backing power of NATO, where a, a lot of other countries are not putting in the amount of money and effort that the United States is, that they're overstepping more or less what they should be doing. Like there's, I don't think we should have bases in like a lot of different countries in the, like Europe. I don't think we should be doing all of this, but that's bigger picture than anything I was ever exposed to. But yet again, who's, who's having military bases in Europe? If for example, Germany, who's seen as like the main economic drive force yeah. of Europe has like, not really the craziest army. Like, the army is not yeah. something special. Yeah. It's really not. So how are you, for example, uh, a few tanks roll over Ukraine, how are you stopping that if you have 
Yeah. No, no hands in So, like, if Russia decided to, like, divert their attention somewhere else, and if the United States wasn't there, like, that sounds super egotistical, but if the United States wasn't there, like, I think a lot of European countries would get rolled over, which in historic times, like, World War II happened, where a lot of countries didn't have large standing armies, and Germany just steamrolled everyone. Yeah. And eventually, like, when the, when the countries ended up coming together and fighting together, then it worked. And it wasn't, I'm not saying, like, the United States won World War II, but they did put a lot of time, money, and effort into, like, the fight. Now, with Ukraine sending $6 billion is, in my opinion, controversial. Like, I have a friend that's Ukrainian, was just in Ukraine, like, one of my best friends, training, like, Ukrainian soldiers and all this, but he did that on his own accord for volunteering. Um, but... I, from what I have understood is it's a lot of our old unused equipment got sent over there and if they're sending like six billion dollars like just straight cash to Ukraine I think that's fucked because with the fires in Maui from my understanding is it's like three or four billion dollars to repair all of Maui and what I've seen so far is that they have not given any money to the residents of Maui that had these huge fires in Lahaina can you uh, for those who don't know can you just what, what is the fires in Maui? So in Hawaii, there's a little island called Maui where they had a huge storm that wiped out um, basically a historical district called Lehaina, which is like the biggest city that's in Maui. And that left thousands of people like displaced, homeless, lost all their belongings. Like hundreds of people are still missing. Like the Hawaiian government is not really doing anything to support them. They only said that they're going to give them like $700 or something to rebuild their life, which... The cost of living in Hawaii is crazy. And $700, like, <laughs> that does not get you very far. No, that's like... In, in Austin, it's like, or most of big cities in America, a coffee is $6. It's like... $10. Three, it's like three weeks of groceries, yeah. Yeah. And so all these people are displaced and homeless based off of like these fires. Build a new house, you're $700. Yeah, and like all like thousands of people got their house burned down and from what i've seen i only saw it from like two different sites so i didn't get a a good um array of it it was they, they were saying it's between like four to five billion dollars to repair all of the damages that were caused like on this side of the island and give the people that lost their homes like a home again rebuild the entire area and then if you look at how much money is being shoveled into ukraine if it is just straight money then how does it make sense that we're supporting a war across the seas but we're not supporting the people that are displaced in our own country yeah. yeah like the 50 states like yeah yeah so i don't i don't know the politician i it's it's tough yeah that's yeah, like you don't really have to know what to say but yeah i think majority of career politicians are corrupt pieces of shit that have your hand in your pocket it's my personal opinion about it like all of them have some sort of agenda all of them are somewhat somehow like afraid to speak out more or less and be like, um, I mean, you'll see like the votes for things like there's only one or two of the opposing parties that is willing to vote for something that was pushed. Like, for an example, the Democrats would push something. All the Republicans would vote no, except they're like one or two Republicans. And all the Democrats would vote yes, except for one or two Democrats, because they're all just so brainwashed at this point to get like their political parties thing pushed whether they realistically believe in it or not. There's no third party. It's just yeah. one or the see, other. I, uh... It's the it's the point. I think the American, the Americans got brainwashed to a point where it's either left or right. It's yeah. it's right or wrong. Yeah. Where where life is not just fucking right or wrong. 
it's multiple shades of whatever colors. Yeah. Like that's how it is. It, it's a little bit more right, a little bit more wrong. Yeah. And the problem is, is that no one's willing to have, I mean, not no one, it's generalization again, but like a lot of people are not willing to have open like conversations about it. I find myself in like a very neutral standpoint, but more right leaning than left leaning. But if, if somebody comes to me that is very left leaning to have a conversation about it, like I'm open ears, like I'm willing to accept what they have to say, whether I agree or disagree with it, I'm not going to hold it against them. You can have different opinions, but I think where a big problem is right now is that people are so brainwashed in this idea that like what if you, what you're saying is wrong and I disagree with you, like I need to like keep putting my idea into you until you think that this is right. And it goes both sides. Yeah. Like Republicans do that to Democrats, Democrats do that to Republicans. And it like, what but are you, what are you accomplishing? Be, it's my opinion. Yeah. That's your opinion. Yeah. Uh, we can talk about our opinions and we can find the ground of this is how we differentiate, differentiate and this is how we agree. But yeah. And come on. And like, it's, I, I believe there's two genders. Yeah. That's what I also believe. But, but if somebody's, you, if somebody's saying like, I refer to me as they, them, like I will do the best possible thing I can. To respect so what then, it is that they believe in. Yeah, fair. It's it's like religion also. Like, yeah, Muslims have their religion. Christians have... It's all that. Like, that doesn't mean I need to convert into your religion. It's very... This is very uh, touchy subject. It's very touchy. Yeah. But it's... I think people with their own opinions got to a point where they realized this is my opinion. Yeah. They're like you don't form an opinion just because it's you you have reasons to back it up and then if you back it up, I mean, sure. Yeah. If you like I've I've always said that too like if you can justify your actions like good on you like 100% I agree with that like and if somebody was like, "Oh, refer to me as they them," then like I will do the best to accommodate somebody that wants to be referred to as they them. But if they're not willing to accept that like I'm probably going to slip up a few times and just be like, "Hey, my pronouns are like they them be like you're right i'm sorry and that's like that is really all that's needed i'm not doing it out of like pure disrespect but if i haven't had an experience like this yet i'm kind of waiting for it to happen like you misgender somebody and they're like what the fuck piece of shit fuck you and you're like all right whatever like <laughs> you're not a person i want to interact with either like, yeah i i i've that actually once happened to me in in a in a club really <laughs> in in cape town in cape town it was Oh, fuck. So, this is uh, the club's name. I forgot it, but it's like Deep Techno, whatever. Uh, we visit there in Cape Town, Modular. Modular is its yeah. name. Modular just sounds like fucking, it just sounds wild. So, they have like two dance floors. And we move to the second one. And it's this guy... It, they, them, whatever, what, whatever he wanted to be called. But he bumps against me, and I'm like, hey, sorry, sorry, man. Oh. But no, no, spiky hair, spiky hair, like, it's like, did you just call me a man? And then he went on a whole rat, right? No, yeah. just, but the thing is, it was weird, it was not, uh, Afterwards, I was just like, yo, sorry, sorry. I, I really don't want to interact with this. Yeah. Uh, this is no fun for me. I don't know if it's fun for you to chew my ass. 
No yeah. homo. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 Good old ass. Just just a little bit of licking. That's actually what. You, no, but I was like, fuck. It's okay. I don't want to interact with you anymore. Yeah. But then, like, as you see him throughout the rest of the night, it's like this constant. It's gotta be exhausting doing that. I think he gets fun out of it. Really? I yeah. think he. I think he, there's something fucked up out in his mind, or like maybe from childhood or something. This is all just speculation. This is all just speculation. But maybe there's like a. He never had superiority or something to stick up against, and now he has the right to do that. Yeah. And you need to respect him for that. And you better say, I'm so sorry that I did whatever I did. Yeah. And he's just like, mm, yeah. Yeah. No, no, no. no. Exactly. No, no, no. I'm very cool. That, that is what, that's what he did. And exact, exact same of like what you said. No, you don't want to get in that conversation. No. But fun, just a weird thing. Uh, politics, politics wise, like yeah. um, next year, next year is a big, big year for, America, what do you think? I, if people re-elect Joe Biden, like, I'm not going to say, like, I hate them, but he's literally, like, on his deathbed. Sleepy, I think. Bo- Sleepy Joe. Yeah. Sleepy Joe is like, uh, very senile. And he's, uh, he's not... Uh, to be honest, I usually vote third party. Like, I don't vote Republican or Democrat. Like, I usually vote for, like, for example, I voted for Joe Jorgensen in, like, I think it was, like, 2014 or 2015. Bernie Sanders was also, like, pretty high in my I heard Bernie Sanders was actually, he was... Somewhat a right. Yeah. Somewhat a right. Because yeah. my opinion as a politician, you're the voice of the majority of the people. And it seems what I've experienced is that the politicians will say what they think the majority of the people want to hear, but not complete it in their actions. Yeah. So I, I I think a drastic change needs to happen in like the American politics. But and all politics, South African politics is exactly the same. It's complete really? bullshit. The people just or they buy them over. They just give them shirts and say, vote for me. That's yeah. what they do what, or whatever. But yeah. Do you have like two like definitive parties also? No, like, we no don't. Party? That's actually the thing. We don't have okay. that. We have like a bunch of different parties, but we have two main parties, three main parties now, but it's, yes. I don't know. South African politics is just tough. It's very corrupt. It's very corrupt, like most politics, but I think it's, it's a different level of corruption, I would say. Yeah. I would say it's, uh, it's not steal for myself, it's steal for me, my brother, my cousin, my second cousin, my second cousin's wife. Jesus. Oh, oh yeah, everyone is getting rich if you are in the politics. Yeah, yeah. You know, your whole family is fucking climbing a few classes, but that's just how it is, yeah. I think if there's not a drastic change in America within like 10 years, it's going to implode. Like we already had a capital storming. I think, I think next year, I think next year, if the voting oh. goes wrong, there's, there's going to be big changes, big changes. But I mean, what is like, in reality, what is the right answer for voting in like America right now? Like, I think the Democratic person they would put forward is Joe Biden. Yeah. Or Hillary Clinton, and I think the Republican right now would be Trump. Only Trump. I I can't see anyone else be getting put there than Trump because the the mass following that he has is just yeah. he's he's like an idol. He's like Elvis Presley, Michael Jackson back yeah. in the day. 
but instead of that, he's a presidential candidate. Like. And he's, he's like being indicted right now too. And it's like, I don't, I don't like it. I'm not a huge conspiracy theorist. I just kind of see, I try and think of things in like a more or less neutral thing. Like the idea that he's being indicted and his like date for court is during the elections is kind of like, okay. And pushing it off is not a good thing either, but you could push it forward and be like, we need to find out if this man is guilty or not. And if he's not guilty, there's no reason why he shouldn't run for president. If he is guilty, like, obviously he should not run for president, right? Yeah. But, I don't know. I think, oh, there's so much, there's so much going on with it. I, America's I, just fucking tough at the moment, I, I would say. America's yeah. just a bit tough, yeah. And I took, like, it's nice that I have a little four-year, va- like, more or less vacation, like, outside of America with all the politics. And even when I go back to America, like, I got in, into it with this one girl. I'll talk, talk about it later, but... It's just like, there's so many differencing of opinions. Like so, so many people are opinionated and not willing to accept others that you're just kind of like, why? Like, why can't we have an open conversation about this? Like, why can your experience, why do your experiences outweigh my experiences more or less? Because everything that I base off of like how I think, what I do, everything is personal experience. It's not necessarily things that I read in like newspapers, articles, Instagram reels, Facebook posts, whatever. It's more or less like something that I've done that is connected to it and I have two cents based off of like my experience it's never like oh I read this and I I think this like if I read that then I usually will find a source from the other side to see what it what is happening because there's always there's always a very heavy left and heavy right and then there's usually a gray area in the middle and you kind of have to like determine which one you believe is true and which one is false because it's so easy right now to put out like false information yeah, I had a I had a friend. He, he's been on the podcast a few times. Peaches, mm-hmm. he wants to. It's so it makes so much sense in today's time. If you ask a certain question, you can immediately see how much time someone spends on the internet. Yeah, just by the opinion they have on something, because with information being uh, very. Readily available, probably. Yeah, just readily available and not always true. I don't think all information is true. It's yeah. it, a lot of the time when someone puts something up, they read it. They like read uh, Serena Go uh, Serena Gomez. Selena, yeah, Selena Gomez yeah. is a bad singer. If yeah. you've never heard of her in your whole life, and you see a main title like that, yeah. If you have not personally experienced her sound or whatever, her songs, then you're going to think, yeah, she's a shit singer. Yeah. yeah exactly. She is a shit singer. Yeah. And you're right. Fuck, fuck Selena Gomez. And then Ryan, you come to me and you tell me, have you heard of that new Selena Gomez song? I'm like, no, no, I'm not listening to that. Yeah. She's a shit. She's a very shit singer. And I feel that's like... In today's time, that's how it is. It's, it's very... You can tell from the way someone answers something how much time they spend on the internet. Yeah. And everyone spends time on the internet. That's, that's, the, problem. that's there's, the problem. There's also a group of people, too, that I've run across that, like... They, they assume that they know everything, right? Because it's not even that they have experiences looking at it on the internet. They're just kind of like, oh, yeah, like, I know this situation. It's like... Yeah? How? Like, what do you know about it? Like, yeah, this is just in this. And it's like, why do you talk about something that you don't necessarily know? Like, if somebody was like, what are your thoughts about, like, uh, Warren Bosnia? I'm like, I know nothing. Like, 
I'm like, was there one was there one? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Like something like that. And then I'm like, they're like, what do you think based off the military? And I'm like, I need to look into like what is happening and then I can give more descriptions based off of how I've experienced like certain areas of like war, certain aspects of it, like more or less knowing the ins and outs of it to then give you an opinion. But like, I'm not going to sit here and make up some bullshit, like acting like I know something that somebody doesn't because in reality, I don't, I don't know what the fuck's going on. Like I'm yeah. just, I'm just here trying to figure out, figure and my fucking way through the Isn't world. that like the majority of the people? I feel like in the problem with America today is you have 10% extreme radicalism on the left. You have 10% complete radicalism on the right. Yeah. But the 80% in the middle, like, they don't necessarily care about most of the problems that are being brought up. But the voices are given to those 10% on each side. Like, yeah. they, they are what is getting heard. Yeah. And it's... Especially from like an outsider's viewpoint, looking in, it's because yeah, I I've never been in America. Let me yeah. tell you this much: to all the listeners, who the fuck is my opinion? I've not even been to America. I don't know <laughs> shit. I don't know shit. I, this is just what I think. But like, if you look at it and you see the articles getting written and the new things brought up, oh, he's against abortions. Yeah. Now, that is something to the left, or I, I don't know which side it leans more to, to be against abortion. I think that's more the right, but... Yeah, yeah. I understand yeah, what yeah, you know what, I'm, I'm not really sure, but yeah. yeah. And it's, no, like, there's also this ideology, too, that if, like, you agree more on what the right's saying, then they instantly clump you into a group of people that are like, rights against abortion, do you not believe in women's rights? And you're like, I, I think the candidate that will best support my viewpoints is this person. That doesn't mean that I agree with everything that he's saying. Yeah, and, and you shouldn't. Yeah. How can you? How can you agree to everything yeah. a person says? Like, for example, like Trump, when Trump got elected, he was very heavy into like the military. And I didn't even vote for him at this point, but he came up, he gave us a pay raise. Like he was very military dependent. Like you guys are like, there for us whenever we need you like i'm gonna make sure that your life is better he turned the va the department of veterans affairs when you get out of the military they're the people that care for you like they'll do your appointments with you if you reach a certain level of disability you'll go to like therapists you'll go to physical therapists like all this stuff and he was like you guys are like waiting too long there's too much veteran suicide he revamped the va gave the active duty military like a pay bump so then the military was immediately just like he cares about the lifestyle that I'm living. Like he has my vote because he's the one that has my interests best in heart. That makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. But when you say like, I've had experiences too, where I'm like, yeah, I'm when I was in the military, like, yeah, I'm an active duty soldier. And they're like, Oh, so you like Trump. And it's like, why would I not like Trump? Like he's providing things for me that are like helping me out right now, giving me more money, providing me with a better future, like the ability to make family, whatever. Like, why would I not support somebody that has my views in mind? And they're like, he's a racist, bigot, piece of shit. And you're like, okay. Like, I, I'm not saying I agree with everything that he's ever said or done, but in this moment, what he's doing right now is providing for me. If the opposing side was like, we're gonna give a huge bump to paying military, we're gonna give you more, like, better equipment, more funding, all this stuff. And in that moment, I'd be like, time to switch sides. Like, and I think that's, that's a good thing when you're open-minded because you can, 
stay more or less in the middle and then shift based off of what best meets your interests. And I think that's how politics in America should be. You should never be straight, more or less. It should be 1% each side because you're always going to have radicalists. And not like 10% or whatever it is, but it should always be a shifting of like, this person has my interests in mind, my community, my family, my religion, whatever. This is the person I'm going to vote for because it seeds my interest rather than just like, I like a lot of people I know voted for Biden because they didn't want Trump to win. They didn't even know what Biden was pushing. They didn't know any of the bills that he was willing to do. And some of them were like, oh, we heard student debt forgiveness. Like, that's it. And it's like, what else? Did it happen? Yeah. And did like, it happen? Yeah. So it's like, okay, like, I, I just think people should be well-informed. Like, if, I, if I'm not well-informed because I'm over here, I'm not going to vote. Because, yeah. like, I don't know what it is that I'm exactly voting for, so why should I put my ballot in? Like, oh, I like this person more than this? Like, what is this, kindergarten? Like, you a little high school, like, president? Like, oh, vote for me because Pedro, like, picks his nose or some shit. Like, just, like fuck off, dude. Like, literally, he gives a shit. You know what I'm saying? Like, yeah. <laughs> like, but I think it's a, it's a human thing, though. Like, will humans ever get, like, at a point where they come into agreement? Like, you have an opposing view, I have a view, but they would sort of, like, never become an agreement. Yeah. It doesn't happen in human nature, but now the problem is you discriminate against someone. You, yeah. you <clears throat> because you said this, I don't, I don't want to be your friend with you. Yeah. I don't want to, like, we said way at the start, it, it's friends fucking or fighting. Yeah. <laughs> if you ain't fucking, <laughs> that's one of the two. That's yeah. one of the two. Yeah. Literally. So it's, See, politics will also always, always be a problem. It will always be a problem and it will probably never become a solution, but it's just how it is, yeah. I've noticed a lot too with friendships breaking, there's there's more or less like... Oops. There's more or less like three things that friendships will like fight about. It's either money, women, or a differencing of opinions. And those are like... I don't know how many like fights you've gotten in with your friends, but almost all of my friendships that have failed have been over one of those three things. Like either somebody's owed me a ton of money and then they wouldn't pay me. So I'm like, why are you my friend? Like you're a piece of shit. I cut them off. A woman that we like, somebody slept with my ex, I slept with somebody's ex. And it's like, why don't you not like value that? Or like a difference in opinions where you're just kind of like, okay, now we've progressed as people. Like your values right now are family. And you're unwilling to like make time for me and my values are like experiences, friends, things that do not have to do with monetary value or family. So now we're at a different thing of opinions in life where we're going to go our separate ways. That's more or less like a neutral way of like- I would, I would more say like goals driven. Like okay. if you have the first two, 100% agree. I, I yeah. personally know tons of friendships that ended. I have my own friendships that <clears throat> sorry ended due to that but like if you have friends around you and the goal is like the goal during the time is the same yeah. and then something happens something happens in one of the two's lives and it, it just splits and you're not working to the same thing you yeah. know 
You know, at this very moment, my main focus is building a career. Or your main focus is building a family. Yeah. And like, you can't really do... You can still be friends, but you can't be as the same bond, close friendship. Like, your mindsets are different at that yeah, point. Yeah, it like is. Your priorities are different, and even though the friendships can more or less, like, push through it, both people have to put in some sort of effort to be like, I'm willing to get out of, like, I'm willing to break my career-driven ideology, like, come hang out with you for a while, or you're willing to, like, be apart from your family for a certain amount of time to, like, come see me. That's that's usually... And that is, yeah, that is the only way you can really do that, because if I want to go out on Friday night, because yeah. I just finished work, I want to grab some beers, come join me. Yeah. My view is, I just got off work, let's, let's party a bit. Yeah. He's is. Man, I just got a newborn. Yeah. Just got a newborn. You... It's not my priority. It's, it's, it's weird. It's weird in the army because, like, your friends are vastly different in age. Like, one of my best friends... I'm 27. One of my best friends is, like, 35. I met him when I was, like, 18. So, he was, like, 25 when I was 18. That's a very big, big age gap. Age difference. Seven years. That's impressive, yeah. So, it's... The mindset has to be more or less similar. Like... A lot of my friends are married and they're, I'll be like, hey man, do you want to grab some beers? And they're like, I'll come out for like a beer or two. And then he'd be like, hey, I'm having like a family barbecue. Do you want to come over? Like, yeah. Like, How? Yeah. And that's, it's like the family barbecue is more or less like he's with his wife and his kids. Like he's seeing his friends. Like the kids are playing. There's a bunch of married people there. And then you're like, like my girlfriend was in Budapest when I was in the States. So I'd show up there like by myself and be like, yeah, like. I'll barbecue, I'll do whatever. I'm here to like talk, hang out. And then those are like the very solid friendships that last. But when your your friend is like married and you're like, hey man, I want to hang out. Can you take a weekend away to like visit me somewhere? Because right right now, since I've gotten out of the military, my friends are fucking everywhere. Like yeah. I live in Utah. I have like a lot of really good friends like in Texas. So like complete opposite sides. I have a good friend in Tennessee. Like Chicago, New York, everywhere. And it's like, hey, let's come up with like a meeting point. And we usually will do this once a year. We're like, what works best for everyone? And with me coming back from Europe this past summer, I was like, I don't have the time or funds to really meet you guys outside of like my state. I was like, can you come to me? And then there was two of them that said yes. And then two of them that were like, I don't know if I can pull in. It's like, okay, well, we'll find a, another time to do this. Mm-hmm. Like. Maybe like in the winter we'll have a better time, and then it's it's so difficult getting people with like families together, like willing to just spend a weekend away from the kids. Because I'm sure when I get to that point of having a family, like I'm going to be so family oriented either. Also that I like I don't want to spend time away from them for yeah. the weekend. It makes sense. Yeah, but yeah, no friendships. All relationships are tough. All relationships are tough. There's a give and a take you need to do, and it's, yeah. yeah, it is. It is tough. Uh, can you give me like for two seconds? I want to take a piss. I, I got big. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and and we're back. Yeah, <laughs> it was a, the best pee I've had in a bit. But yeah, no, uh, friendships are important, and I, I feel I feel like we uh, knocked this topic off. By the way, you do martial arts. Yeah, yeah. I do jujitsu. I'm kind of on and off with it, but 
It's something that I enjoy. It's difficult finding the time and being exhausted, like physically and mentally exhausted after. But every time I go in there, I feel like clear headed mindfulness, like a next level of like mindfulness where I'm like, okay, why don't I come here more often? Yeah. But like the anxiety inducing thing, I'm, I'm so bad at doing things that I'm bad at, if that makes sense. Like breaking out of my comfort zone since how my upbringing was is that I played like almost every single team sport. Like, and when you start at a young age, you have a, a base level of athleticism. And the only thing I didn't do was any sort of like fighting sport. I didn't do wrestling. I didn't do martial arts, anything. So this now learning at the age of like 25 was something completely foreign to me where I just felt like I had two left feet. Like I had no idea what the fuck I was doing. And that was probably one of the first experiences I've had where I'm like, this is so out of my comfort zone and I suck at this. So every time I go back, like, or I take like a break based off of like midterms, finals, whatever, then it's like anxiety inducing to go back and be like, oh, hey, like I haven't seen you guys in a few months. Like I'm here ready to train again. And then you go hard for like a couple of months and you're like, fuck dude, like life's catching up to me. Like got to take a break. Yeah. Um, what level are you at now? I'm still just a white belt. Um, okay. I, I, I just as your white belt mindset, I love the way you just say that because so relatable. Yeah. I, I, when I just came to uh, Hungary, I saw this weird, I was on a bus mm-hmm. heading to Calvin, Calvin Tech. Yeah. I climb off Calvin. I see this man with like this bag and it says Gracie on it. Yeah. An immediate flashback brings me back to like my dad showing me the first UFCs of Royce Gracie, the Gracie train running yeah. in and just beating whoever the fuck was in front of him. It was crazy. And I get to the library. I was on the way to the library, to the Advent Sabo library. And I stopped there and I immediately Googled that. Yeah. And I see there's like a huge Gracie Academy. Yeah. So I go in, I join. Man, this, it's probably the most sketchiest gym I'll ever It's very sketch. It's like, not sketchy, it's just basic. Yeah. You go down, you go down, there's a mat. Mm-hmm. There's, there's out like another door to another mat and pretty much what happens there is it's just a bunch of people doing dumbbells and uh no it's kettlebells and like body weight movement like that but anyway so i go there i do the first one the old class is taught in hungarian yeah by the way no fucking idea what's going on this guy is teaching moves yeah and I have no idea what's going on. So what you do is you figure it out with your body. You yeah. Know, it's like a, it's like chase body with the chase. Yeah. And then like the start, you only get, I, I only got fucked up. I only got, yeah, you get. It's mind boggling to be honest. Like you go in there, you have like an expectation of like, even with me, like prior service, you're like, I'll fuck somebody up. And then somebody folds you like a little paper plane. And you're just like, Maybe, maybe, I'm, yeah. maybe I'm not at the top of the food shelf. Like. <laughs> literally, literally. So now I go there, did that maybe 
four or five classes. But the thing is, like, every class I finish, yeah. I walk out with, like, like the world's weight is off me. Yeah. Because it's, it's very, it's a mental thing of, so the start, you warm up, you do some drills, you do some technique. But at the end, you have five minute rounds, mm-hmm. three rounds of them, whatever guy, tap, and then you go. And then it's one-on-one, who's killing who first? Yeah. Who's tapping out? And it's like, that aggression is like sort of, it's good for you. It, yeah. It's not good to die, but good to battle. It's good to try to survive. It sounds so weird saying it out no, loud. No, trying, trying to survive makes sense for anyone that has like started jujitsu. Like trying to survive makes sense. Oh, that's all you do. Yeah. That's, that's all you did. And then, or, or all I did. And then later on, I joined this class. But so I did that for a bit, start because it's very, um, yes. It takes, it takes a lot out of you. Yeah. It takes... Like imagine, imagine how mentally strong you must be to be ready to go to every single class. Yeah. I know every single class you're going to get fucked up. Not likely, you are going to tap out. Someone is going to choke you out. And it's like... One of my best friends actually did that. I don't know how. He would... Um, he was in North Carolina doing it, but they would have two to three classes a day and he would go two to three times a day. He made his purple belt in like two and a half years, which is unheard of. Yeah. Yeah. Because he literally was just living there. Like he got cauliflower ears in like probably two months. And he's, he's a filthy little guard puller, um, which is like the worst, the worst jujitsu people in the world. But he's very, very smart and like technical with it. And yeah, I'm sorry. Continue. That just reminded me of that. Yeah, no. And so about that guy, we had a, our coach yeah. was this Hungarian he went to Europe. He went to like Europe, uh, European leagues, and he fought there. This guy, <clears throat> no jokes, fucking no jokes. Every time I see him at the gym, there's like two or three bananas next to the mat. Yeah. A jar of peanut butter. Yeah. And a, like a, sli- a few slices of bread. So this guy would pretty much sit the whole day on the mat. Rolling, going through stuff, exercising, and his food would be bananas, peanut butter, and bread. Yeah, so he doesn't cramp. Oh, no, yeah, he doesn't care. All he Mm -hmm. needs to do is roll now. He just needs to roll now. And brilliant guy. Brilliant. And everyone there was fucking brilliant. There was this Japanese guy. I I always went there just to try and fuck him up. He would always fuck me up, but... Dude, it's so competitive. Like, I... I need to get back into it. That was a thing I enjoyed. Like you have somebody that is like similar skill set with you and then it like, it becomes your rival, but also like somebody that you're willing to like train with all the time. Oh, directly afterwards, you tap each other and like fucking great, great yeah. spot. Rolling session was yeah. very nice. It was actually enjoyable. And then, uh, when was it? Fuck my, because jujitsu really breaks down your ego. Yeah. Like you, you, you realize you are not shit because you walk in there and you think you are the shit until you go on a mat one-on-one and someone chokes you out and you're like, no, I'm not, I'm not the shit. And I went to this whole other gym, more commercial, more cuts. I don't know. Maybe it's just me. What's the name of it? 
It's down at Blaha. It's a little bit up from Blaha. Are you like? Are you consistently doing jujitsu? Because there's one like two minutes walking from you here. Because it's the one that I go to. It's like off of Andersi. Like there, there's a Muay Thai gym that, just down the island doing that. I do want Muay Thai. I think Muay Thai and Jiu Jitsu is like the d- most dangerous fucking combination yeah. you could ever have. I think Muay Thai is like the most deadly form of striking. At like Jiu Jitsu, the second you're on the ground, it's like I'm gonna fucking fold you. Like Judo is good too for tossing, but Muay Thai. Let, let's talk about like MMA wise. Like, what the fuck is Judo doing? Judo's just tossing. Like you're just getting fucking thrown. I think I think the best base to go into like UFC MMA. Is probably like a wrestling standpoint. Yeah, wrestling's very good. Also. Yeah, yeah, those guys are just because how they explain it is you can dictate where the fight will go to. Yeah. Because if you take it to the ground, you're going to take it to the ground because you know wrestling. If you want to stand up, let's stand up. Yeah. But um, Muay Thai, those, those guys are just yeah. Those because they're they're built different. Do you, do <laughs> built <you> different. Know, <laughs> who's that guy? Uh, Rot, yeah, rotting. Yeah, rot- yeah. Just that punching, <laughs> punching himself in the face after taking a roundhouse, and just like I, I eat those. Like, <laughs> you know, dude, mental. The guy would get hit with the hardest thing. You're like, come, come yeah. on. Yeah, like, <laughs> you're like, like, what the fuck? Yeah, no, Muay Thai guys are fucking crazy, crazy. Yeah, and but like BJJ, like. Oh, so now I go up to that Blaha place. Yeah. And I think it's probably also an ego thing. But if you tap me out, you deserve to tap me out. I'm fucking struggling till the end. Yeah. And this one guy, he knew, all he did was just get me into a neck hold somehow because he knew positions better than me. Yeah. And just fucking squeeze the shit out of me. Squeeze the shit out of me. And I would try not to tap, try not to tap, and then tap. Yeah. And then, yet again, then you tap me, let's roll. No, no, let's try fucking something else. No. Get to me in the exact same position, just turn, 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 and then at the end. Man, if I tell you my ego was destroyed, I went to the bathroom, so, I sound like a bitch, but I cried. I literally, cry because it's like i don't know maybe it's just a thing but if you get fucked up so badly fucked up so badly it's yeah i don't like it i don't like i don't you don't like doing things you're not good in yeah even though it's very good for you yeah it's good for you to be out of your comfort zone but the comfort zone is very you know it's very relaxing it's yeah. like oh okay for example in rugby I'm, I've been playing rugby since my whole life. I'm so comfortable with the rugby ball in my hand because that's what I know. And then if you get taken out of that, it's, it, it gets tough. It gets tough. Yeah. Yeah. I see what you're saying. It, it, yeah, it gets tough. The comfort zone is something that I'm still working on getting through. Like my first time surfing was like in January. And that was something that was like getting out of my comfort zone because you, you fucking suck. Like every time you start something that's like you, even though I've snowboarded for like 20 something years, like snowboarding does not compare to surfing. Like, yeah. like identifying a wave, like the pop up, everything is completely different. And you're talking about how like f- 
free and like great you feel after jujitsu. I think there's two things in this world that I've experienced so far that I feel that, and that's jujitsu and surfing, because you cannot have your phone for either of them. Like, ooh, you cannot bring your you. I think they have wetsuits to bring your phone out there, but like stopping a pussy, just leave your fucking phone. Like, and then you can't bring it out surfing because you're in the water, realistically. And you can't bring it to jujitsu because you're fighting for your fucking life. Yeah. And those are, I think, the two activities that I've experienced where alcohol is not involved and your phone is not involved. And I think at that moment you're at like a stage in your life where you've you're living exactly in the moment, exactly where you can be, and the only focus that you have is on the then and now. It's not about the past, or it's not about the the past or the present or the past or the future. It's only about the present. Yeah. And I haven't experienced any other sport like this. I'm sure, like, if you did rock climbing, something else, you would experience it. But those are the two sports that I've personally experienced where that is, like, the big joy that I feel from it. Because I'm disconnected from society. If I'm out surfing, I'm out for four hours. If I'm doing jiu-jitsu, I'm there for two hours. And it's two to four hours where, like, the world is stood still. You don't care about what anyone else is doing except for the people that are right then and there in your life. That's actually great. That's <laughs> that's what sport needs to be doing. Yeah, yeah. yeah. that's like we we talked about uh, before we started recording about your surfing trip. Yeah, but like, so going out, you are now grab the wave. You're in now. Yeah, is it? See, I think it's the pop up thing because once you fall down, you're like, oh, how can I? say it in the words I want to like you go out you try your best just to surf because there's actually nothing better than just getting it up getting it right and then the wave is taking you like the few times I went like surfing lessons I can very vaguely remember those one or two times out of the 20 attempts I had when you stand up and the wave actually takes you it's like so liberating you're like yes and I just did that I think the thing people don't realize is like how demanding surfing is like paddling on a surfboard is exhausting. And then you're, you're sitting out there, like you're waiting for a set to come in and then there's, I don't like, I'm not well versed in it, but there's a priority too. I I don't think I've snaked anyone yet, but I'm, I don't want to. Um, and you're sitting there waiting for a set to come in. You see like the peak in the shoulder, the wave. So you start just fucking, and then next thing you know, you're just like the perfect moment. Like, split second you're just like i'm on the wave like it's my moment to pop up and you sit there pop up and you ride it and it's like a high almost because you're like i put all of this effort all this time in to catch this exact wave that i'm now like riding and then you're sitting there like riding along the edge of it and i don't i haven't learned tricks or anything yet and you're just cruising down you make it to like the end of the wave whatever and then you just sit there and you're like like, Let's do this again. Yeah. <laughs> and you just, and then you just, you back just fucking get back out there and you're like fucking sitting there on your board just waiting. I'm like, I'm terrified of sharks. And every single time that I've gone out surfing, like the only thing that I've thought about is like looking at the horizon to see if the wave is going to be at where I'm going to be or I need to move somewhere else to get it. And if it's big enough for me to take. It has never been like thinking of anything else. It's never been like Oh, I'm struggling with like travel. Like my mental health is declining. Like my girlfriend's upset. Any of this. It's literally just like, where is this wave peaking? Where do I need to be? And then every single time I see it peaking, it's like, I need to get there. And then I'm there and it's like, I need to paddle up. I never think like, 
more or less anything other than two steps ahead. And it's not just like when that's, it gets that's very nat I think it's natural to a point. Yeah. I think there's a lot of sports that have you ever so this is like the one I think you call it they call it in the zone, whatever you want. Yeah, yeah. Have you ever watched for those we are like so fine. <laughs> but the gems who make it till this point who listen to you. Do yourself a favor and watch, I think it's like 2015 around, I don't know, but it's Tiger Woods when he just came back uh, to the PGA. Yeah. It's, I don't give a fuck about golf. Golf is boring. But there's something about a man that is brilliant in his art that he has perfected. Yeah. This man would approach a ball. Like he was a tiger and that was his fucking antelope. <laughs> yeah. So literally. <laughs> it was, you would see nothing else going on in his eyes. Like, have you ever seen a super drunk man? Yeah. yeah. There's like just nothing in those eyes. It's just like empty. His eyes, you can just see this like determined. It still gives me goosebumps till this day. And... There's something about being that flow in that zone of thinking, okay, there's the wave, where should I be now? Yeah. Uh, there's, I, I'm in this very position. I know that if I do this and that, I can get this man in a headlock. It's like very... Yeah. That's what... Primal, that's, primal I think is like a good boom, way to put it. There, primal. It's that primal feeling of just thinking of one thing, you're thinking of now. Yeah. So, um, there's a lot of like extreme combat veterans that have experienced this to a sense because they would come back from war and be craving it again. Some people would be craving it again if they haven't experienced extreme trauma of like their friend getting killed, like losing limbs or anything, because in that moment you're at the most heightened sense of like what is going on around you to make sense. Like you're sitting there, you get shot at you immediately go into like the fight or flight like mindset and all you're thinking about is like the fight because you don't have you can't flee right so your whole mindset is like i'm going to get out of this in the most violent way possible so you're just there fighting for it every single neuron in your brain is firing in the sense of like we're going to fight we're going to get the fuck out of here we're going to do everything that we're trying to do to get out of the situation and a lot of people that have come back from like extreme like deployments have all experienced that through a sense where they're like, I've never felt more like mentally capable in my life. Like everything slows down around you and you're just so focused on then and there. There's not a single fucking thought going through your head. You're getting shot at. You're like, I'm going to react to contact. I'm going to do exactly what it is that I've been trained to do and to the best of my fucking ability. And then that is all that you're fucking thinking about. Do you know, have you ever heard of Marcus Luttrell? Yeah. With the Lone Survivor movie yeah. and the whole story of him. Like, I think for him, let, let's take him for example. He got pushed to such a fucking level. Not out of his decision. No, no. It's life that put him through that. Yeah. Where after you go through a combat where you are the lone survivor of a whole group of you getting chased down and everything. Isn't everything in life after that like 
if you if you channel your mind in that way where as soon as something gets tough you just think oh it could have been tougher yeah I, I, I was in that situation where I did not have water for fucking weeks I got shot in my friend it's fucked it's absolutely fucked and then but he's it's a gift and a curse because this man probably whatever challenge you can put in front of him yeah. you'll, you'll be able to do that so like that's probably not the greatest reference for it but um, somebody that like experienced combat in the sense that no one was around him was killed like he was in a life threatening situation but he managed to make out of it would be better and that's I don't have any specific examples with that but yeah. with Marcus Luttrell like then comes on the idea of like survivor's guilt too where like why was like your people you serve with are like your brothers more or less you're like you go through intensive training that is trauma is a, a harsh way of putting it you experience a heightened level of like stimul stimul stimulation that you will probably never experience outside of the military like you're sucking you're like on your last leg and then you're like i can't fucking do this and you look at your buddy and you're just like <laughs> you're like oh yeah like we got this like stupid <laughs> stupid shit like that right really? and then like through like these horrible shitty fucking moments when you're at your low like you bond with people and then when you go like over onto the deployment side of things you see these fucking people and you're doing all this shit with and you're the people that you're with like you're bonded with for life they're like we're fighting in this situation we're fighting for our lives like these are the people that we're going to stay with for eternity like i will do fucking anything for them like the people the soldiers that i had under me like I would have taken the bullet for it in a fucking heartbeat. And, it, like, Veronica hated hearing that shit because I was like, yeah, like, I would rather give my life than, like, my buddies. And that's, like, across the board. Your, your fucking people that you work with are, like, so bound in, like, more or less, like, traumatic experiences. And it's a fucking crazy thing to think about. So when you're the only person that survives in that sense and you're like, why was it that? Why was it not me? And it will fucking almost haunt you for the rest of your life. But like, why do people do that? Like, people would much rather, much rather blame themselves than anyone else. Like, even though like, the person dying is not, it's not your fault. Not necessarily. But when you get to situations like that, you kind of think about like the minuscule, like, what in this situation could I have done differently? What if? Yeah. And it's always, it's that once you get down the what if road is when people really start losing their minds. Cause it's like, for example, like I had a buddy in Afghanistan that there was a vehicle born IED that hit the gate and he was a person that like cleared it. And a lot of his friends like passed away during this. And then it was a constant what if thing. He's like, what if like I checked harder? What if I used like, a flashlight searching under the vehicle. What if I made them step out of the vehicle and did a full born like ramp, like random vehicle inspection. And it's once you start getting on um, those rabbit hole. Yeah, you get, yeah, exactly. You get sucked in the rabbit hole and you're just like, there's no, there's no coming out of this. So that survivor's guilt is like a real thing. If you talk, if you look at like any of the interviews with anyone that has been in an extreme situation where they've been the only survivor, one of a few, I think there's another one with like a plane crashing in the Andes mountains and like only like five out of like 45 people lived. Like all of those people have survivor's guilt because they're just like, why didn't we do this differently? Like, why didn't we do this differently? And it's just, it's so fucked.
So, so during my summer vacation, I went to Normandy Beach. Yeah. There where D-Day was. And uh, so, fuck, I actually like really, it, it got me so emotionally struck. So I went to the museum yeah. and you walk through the museum and it's like, you don't really give a fuck because it's cool, but it's this tank and that tank and this whole history story. But at the end, at the end of this whole thing, this one guy decided to interview a bunch of the survivors. Yeah. A bunch of the survivors and just ask them like, listen, write me something about what you... And it's, it's fucking universal. It's, it's like a universal thing of... I should have died that day. Yeah. My friend, whoever it was, he should have lived. I, I should have died. I would have much rather died for him than he died for me. Yeah. And like, these people are haunted with this. It's... it's this is what, what I hate about war because this one guy wrote something about like everything I can't remember quote for quote but the essence is, is why didn't I die yeah and bring those people back in today's living I, I still have things like that with like friends of mine that have passed away like not necessarily in combat but it's like why didn't I... A lot of my friends have like passed away from suicide. It's like, why didn't I do this? Why didn't I do that? Like, why was it him? Why, why was it not me that was struggling kind of thing? And the World War II generation is like known for being the greatest generation that ever lived. And their mindset is still very similar to like the military today. Like all of the good leaders. When the war in Ukraine happened, my unit, um, I thought rapidly deployed to the area. And I was like fresh out of the army, like six months and I was straight up just trying to buy a ticket to Ukraine I was like I'm not gonna let these dudes like be there by themselves without me like I trained them for two and a half years why the fuck am I not there yeah kind of thing and that was like the mindset that I specifically had but I know there's like a lot more people that have the mindset than I do and the crazy thing is with World War II is that we automatically associate with the Germans being bad but we never understood the idea that they went through the exact same thing that like every other allied person went through, that they were there fighting for their country with what they believed was right, whether they knew like the genocide was going on or not. And it's, it's crazy when you have a different perspective on that, right? Cause they're sitting there with like their friends, their people that they bond with through like trauma, traumatic experiences, people that they grew up with are getting killed. And then you hear the war ends and all you hear about is like the allied forces being victorious. And then the Axis powers being put like even more down. And it's crazy because the wars are never fought. That's when you take a gun and you shoot yourself on yeah. that spot. It sounds, it sounds harsh what I'm saying now, but I promise you it happened. 100%. Places. Like it happens with almost every single modern war. Like people coming back from the Iraqi war was like, why the fuck was I there? There was no weapons of mass destruction and then they killed themselves. And it's crazy because the wars are fought with the people, but how the wars are started with are with the politicians. And the politicians aren't on the front lines doing anything. It's the generals that are dictating the soldiers of what to do. So the soldiers are sitting there with massive traumatic experiences. They're, they're getting a, a ribbon. Their commanding officer is getting a medal. Their superior officer is getting like an even higher medal kind of thing because it goes up the chain of command. Yeah. So these soldiers are having these lifelong traumatic experiences only having like 
literally once you get out of the military it doesn't fucking matter just like whatever like earned like an army accommodation medal like one of the very high levels of like accommodation like bronze star silver star medal of honor and then i think army accommodation is like below a bronze star it's like okay why the fuck am i getting this and then you realistically did nothing and then your officer is getting a bronze star and it's like why the fuck is he getting a bronze star what did he do and then his superior is getting a silver star and you're like the fuck did he do <laughs> right and you're just like and then some random person is getting fucking a gold star yeah exactly like who the fuck is this guy I've never even he's never even seen the front lines exactly and it's one of those things where it's like what do I have to show for what I did for my my country kind of thing and I think Germany especially in World War II experienced the worst of that I'm not gonna fucking say what they were doing was right but they were sitting there thinking that they're like they're fighting for their country's beliefs to expand whatever whether they knew if the Holocaust was going on or not and then at the end of it like everything that they did all the trauma they experienced was literally worth nothing and people that come back from like the modern day wars too it's like all this trauma all this things that I experienced is worth nothing because we pulled out of Afghanistan and it went to shit right back to the Taliban so comparing those two is a wild like absolutely wild no, but concept but it like it makes sense to an the extent the way you say it, it yeah like it's, it's it's the politicians that are fucking evil the higher the people that are higher up are the ones that commit the evil the people that are sitting there following orders because a small percentage of what they believe is right is right like the winners dictate whether it was right or not if Germany won World War 2 like the Holocaust wouldn't have fucking mattered because they won but since the Allies won, what they were doing was atrocious. But in reality, like, both sides were committing war crimes. It was just that Germany was on a whole different fucking level. Oh, shit. I think Germany was not even the worst. I think they... See, the worst thing about World War II is the mass genocide Yeah. was everywhere. Yeah. Like, these people... Have you ever heard of uh, Unit 731? No. Oh, wait. Yeah, we're pretty much two hours in. Oh, we'll cut it off from Unit Seven Three One, whatever. Um, so Japan, this is this is like. Oh, is it when J- Japan went into China and like started doing atrocious thing to like the Chinese? Oh yeah, completely. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, and the thing is, they were so good at like covering up the documents. Yeah. That no one fucking no one except the people did it. Yeah. Or whoever planned it. They were just like, this will disappear. It's fine. Yeah. We'll forget about it. We'll forget about it. One day, this random guy walks in like, fucking a forgotten library or something. Finds like, notes about this unit 731, about how these Japanese people did whatever they wanted. Yeah. Whatever they wanted on whatever people. I don't know exactly the thing, but... Probably worse than the Holocaust. And that's pushing it. How, how can you... What is worse than the Holocaust? Yeah. And no one... Very, very few people know about this. Like, it's... it's There's... Dude, these things are crazy. That's crazy. Like, even the Americans in Vietnam, they were committing massive amounts of war crimes and, like, you don't hear about it. And it's... It's all just a sense of perspective. Like, what your... Whether you're backing your country or not, like, everything is like, oh... We were there fighting for a reason. We were fighting so that North Korea and, like, the Chinese and Russians did not invade South Korea and, like, spread communism. It's like, okay, yeah. but how do we go about that? And then you're sitting there and you're thinking, like, 
we burned villages, we killed fucking men, women, and children. Like, it's not right. 100%. But you don't hear about that, more or less. You hear about, like, the heroic stories that you, more or less, are exposed to and you want to hear about. Yeah, this world is fucked. Yeah. <laughs> like, if Every, you say like, it like that, like, it is just fucked. Even, like, if with the Ukraine and Russian, like, war, if you're only exposed to, like, the Ukrainian side of things, you're going to see the Russian atrocities. But if you're exposed to both sides of things, you're going to see Ukrainian atrocities. But where you have to, like, we were talking about it earlier, like, you have to find a middle ground, and it's literally a middle ground for everything at this point. You have to, like... What I'm doing right now with like finding out about the Ukrainian war is I'm on a like a Discord server where they post GoPros based off of where the soldiers are, and then like third party people triangulate different positions of where they are and what is going on in their GoPro. So I'm watching people get like smoked on drones, like people that are sitting there in trenches like killing other people, and then from there they triangulate like based off of where they are and how many people died. So that's like the most third party thing that you can imagine. I'll show you like yeah, no, actually, yeah, that. How the fuck does that exist? Yeah, because they'll, they'll sit there and like pull up the drone footage and then third-party people will pull up based off of Google Maps and what it is that they're seeing and more or less triangulate their position. And you're like, okay, the Ukrainian forces have invaded up until this point or the Russian forces are up until this point. How smart is today's technology not? It's fucking nuts, dude. Like, like, like the war, like I think the Ukrainian-Russian war is like with the drones and shit they have, like you say, they triangulate. It's fucking genius. Yeah. It's literally like, and it's just getting worse. Like World War Two, was, the technology was not yet there. So they just fed everyone fucking meth. Yeah. Pretty much. It was, it was a meth driven war. It was an amphetamine driven war. Yeah. Today's war is driven by technology. Yeah. It's driven by probably a little bit of amphetamine, probably a little bit of meth also, but like the drone technology, all these different technologies are just literally what dictates if you win or lose. And every single country right now is watching because Ukraine and Russia has like the world's, more or less the big world's attention. Like uh, I'm, I'm not, I'm positive on this. I don't know for sure. But I'm sure there's technologies that the U.S. has wanted to introduce into the military that's being pumped into Ukraine to see if it works in like a modern day battlefront. Because right now it's there's two different styles of war. There's near peer, and then there's near and like I don't, I don't know what the fucking word near peer is basically like similar technologies. And then like how we were fighting the war in Afghanistan was not near peer. It's the opposite. I just don't remember the name of it because we're fighting. So people. that's all the technologies. Yeah. So like. Russia, Ukraine, like near peer, they have very similar technology. Everything is going for them. They have drones, thermals, all this. And then like the war, when we we're fighting in Afghanistan, Iraq, it was, we could see at night. They couldn't, is like a very easy way to explain it. Yeah. So, um, I'm sure right now there's technology that's being put into these wars to see how they fare on like a more or less near peer battlefront of like, Hey, this works, this doesn't work. And the idea of drones is what we dealt with in Iraq too, because that just sounds like fucking world war right now. Yeah. I to see if this new technology will be able to fuck up whoever is against me. Yeah. There's so much money that's always shoveled into like the research and development for especially military. So um, even like in Iraq, we were dealing a lot with like the DJI Mavics, like the small little drones that people will throw up for like cinematic things. Yeah. Like they would be able to strap like a 40 mic mic grenade onto the bottom of these things and like fly them into base 
or they would have these um, airplanes that they would strap an RPG around into because they eventually realized what our capabilities were with stopping them and they realized certain aspects of how to counter them. So they would strap like an RPG round onto an airplane that did not have any sort of GPS or satellite coordination that they just threw and it knew the direct trajectory of where they were going. And then we didn't have a counter for it for a while. So they started learning our capabilities and then countering it. And even that, that wasn't near peer. That was us with like farmers that just didn't want us to be in their country. Holy shit. Yeah. The, the creativity is nuts. And now when you have, if you think about it on like people that have done engineering mindsets, like all of these things that are now able to fund it into a environment where they're going to test it and be like, does this work? Does this not work? What are the capabilities of them? What are the, the deficiencies of them more or less? And be like, how are they going to counteract that? How are they going to react to it? And how can we exploit that where it's going to be effective where they can't do anything about it? Yeah, today's just, yeah. I. How the fuck do you see the future though? It's just, we don't know. No. We don't know. And I would like to uh, call this on, on, <coughs> on saying that who the fuck knows about the future? Like, like, we might go to shit, we might go to good. Whatever happens will happen. Whatever yeah. happens will happen. Um, this this is the good vibes only podcast. <laughs> this is the good vibes only podcast, and uh, I would like to end on a note that I think war might be bad, but it might be technologically good. I would like to say try surfing, do sport, do just get in the fucking flow zone, just just experience the flow. There's nothing more natural than that. Uh, anything from you? No, you summarize it very well. <laughs> and uh, as always, this is the GVO podcast, the good vibes only podcast. See you guys next week. Thank you. Bye.